0: Today's reading of Scripture comes from the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verses 5 through 12. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Amy's going to come up and read for us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father of the son in whom he delights. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So if you were here last week, we looked at three conditions in our knowing God, how do we know God, and what do we need to meet in order to know him from this passage in verses 5 through 8. We looked at total trust, Godward perspective, and reverent fear. And today, we're going to examine three blessings that flow out of knowing God. And these three blessings are ultimate healing, verse 8, bountiful prosperity in verses 9 through 10, And then three, delighting love in verses 11 through 12. So first, let's look at this incredible first blessing, ultimate healing. You know, when we think of healing in verse 8 as a blessing from God, I want to give a caveat to this. Remember that knowing God and having a relationship with him does not automatically lead to healing in this world. That would be a really terrible error if we were to think this way. And tragically, this is an era that is repeated all throughout the world. We see this um, in places like Africa. And I know um, in my visits there, uh, oftentimes there were, interestingly enough, on some of these huts, there would be a satellite dish. Occasionally, it would happen. And you know, there would be African channels, but there would be one channel from the US. You know what that channel was? And it was not ESPN. <laughs> it was TBN, Trinity Broadcast Network. On Trinity Broadcast Network, if you were to turn that on on a satellite dish, you would see speakers like Creflo Dollar, Kenneth Hagan, Kenneth Copeland, Joyce Meyer. What do all of those people have in common, those preachers? They all preach that. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you can be healthy and wealthy and wise. And so the net result of all of those people watching that program is that some of these incredibly impoverished widows, with whatever they have, they will give it to these ministries. And so that's why in Africa, actually, there's huge churches some in Nigeria have some of the biggest churches in the world, but the pastors are billionaires. And the churches are, are literally you know, hundreds of millions of, of dollars in its construction and its design. And it's, it's just stark, the contrast. You have these impoverished huts and all sorts of dilapidated homes, and around it is this beautiful structure, gigantic, a campus truly of a church. How does that happen? It happens because there is this error, that if you believe and trust in God, that equates health and wealth. That's all you need to do is believe, and everything will go well in your life. But know this, is if that were the case, why would we believe in Jesus who died on a cross? You know, that doesn't compute, right? The disciples all 12 of them lost their lives except for one John who was exiled to the island of Patmos. But everybody else, they were martyred, they were executed for their faith. So shouldn't it be that the disciples and Jesus, I mean, who has their faith? And yet all of them did not experience health and wealth, quite the opposite. They experienced trial and struggle and eventually suffering and the loss of their life. So if what I'm saying is true, then how does one interpret verse 8? Because look at verse 7, it says, fear the Lord and turn away from evil, right? We looked at that last week as a condition upon which we know God. And then here's the blessing of verse 8 in response. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So, How how does that work together? A few things. First is, know that it can happen that when you trust in the Lord, yes, does God, and can he bless you materially and physically? Yes, he can. Does it mean that he always does? No. So we see instances in scripture where God heals. God blesses materially even when we trust in him. But we also see many instances where God doesn't heal, as Paul describes in 2 Corinthians, where he prayed three times, oh God, please take this thorn in the flesh away from me. We don't exactly know what that thorn in the flesh was, but there was something that Paul was crying out and saying, I need healing, please help me. It will help me with my ministry. And God said, I'm not gonna heal you. And instead, Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. So sometimes God decides not to heal, to teach you something else. We also see instances where someone like Abraham believed and actually God blessed him materially. But again, all you need to do is just read Hebrews chapter 11 and you see many instances where God doesn't bless materially when you believe. So there's no quid pro quo. It's not as though belief automatically means prosperity or belief automatically means abject poverty. So keep that in mind. As well, recognize that there is a promise, though. And I do believe that promise will take place. That there will be prosperity. There will be healing. There will be blessing. And that's why I want to use the adjective ultimate. Because ultimate means that somewhere, eventually, all of this will occur. All of us will experience physical healing forever, will experience full prosperity forever. And I'm not talking about a big mansion. You go to heaven, you're going to get a big mansion with a nice car or whatever. No, far more exceeding than that. So ultimately, these blessings will occur. But notice that um, I want to do is, what I want to do is take the inverse of verses seven through eight. So if, Verse 7 says, fear the Lord, turn away from evil. Let's take the opposite of that. Fear man, fear humanity, fear human beings, and turn towards evil. If we were to do that, what is the impact on ourselves? It's, It's actually pretty significant. In other words, when you live for the purpose of wanting to please others, If you are trying to fit into a crowd or to be significant in the eyes of other people, you will find your physical well-being really diminished. It actually takes place. I was watching an interview with Denzel Washington, actor Denzel Washington, and he was talking about how his friends would make fun of him because his mom was so strict. and he had these friends who were not the best influence over his life. And oftentimes he'd want to hang out really late with his friends, because he just see his friends. They did whatever they wanted, and his mom would not let him do that. And one time he said he was riding in the car, and he's like, I, I want to go out. And his mom said, no, you're not allowed to. And he started talking back, and he turned his head, and she went, wham, right across his face. And because uh, he just wanted to be like the other kids, and. He was always called back home by his mom. This is what he said about his childhood friends. He said, one did 28 years behind bars. Another did 20 years. Another did 12 years. One is dead. And the other two are just getting out. And when asked what advice he'd give his 15-year-old self now as an older man, he laughed and said, listen to your mother. So 15-year-olds... You know what advice I give to you? Listen to your mother. Listen to your mother, because once you get to my age, you say I should have listened to my mother more. You know, it's um, the thing is when you want to belong, it it actually wearies your soul and it actually decreases your health. When you long to be liked and popular and special and you're so deeply concerned about what other kids are doing and what other people think of us, you know, we actually physically suffer. There are some teenagers who are so upset with their parents because they don't, they don't get to do what everyone else does. or They don't get to watch what everyone else does and they don't get to use their phone as much as everyone else and so they run away and there are many who in their running away get trafficked get sold into slavery this is i'm not just saying that as like a just some scare tactic it actually happens that is truly not better for you physically when you're trying to fit in with everybody else there are when i go to work and everyone else is getting drunk and i get drunk too and every time i go to work i get drunk every time and i become an alcoholic you know, that's not better for me physically, just even physiologically. I get liver disease. You know, there's, there's just all sorts of problems, even with my mind, my physical mind, because I want to fit in. When we worry about our, our job, our job security, about the promotion that we didn't get, about the fact that all these people are being looked beyond us, what happens with that? Well, you get high blood pressure, you get ulcers, we get heart disease, we get diabetes because we're just working all the time. I mean, the more we actually have problems with our souls, the more we have problems with our physical being. And that's the point of Proverbs here. The Proverbs writer is telling us that you actually feel it in your bones when you don't do well. And the opposite is also true. When you do well, you also feel it in your bones. You feel refreshment in your bones. Now, I used to live in Chicago and for about two and a half years, and those were some of the coldest years I have ever lived on the face of the earth. And for those of you from the Midwest or from Chicago in particular, you understand what I'm talking about is that during those two years, there was one winter, it was negative 40 wind chill factor. So, as soon as you walked out, the wind would just cut through every layer that you're wearing. You you know, you had to go out with your full, back then, we didn't have to wear a mask because of COVID, but you still wore a mask. So, you covered up with just your eyes and you walk outside and the wind just cut right into your bones. I mean, you felt it in your bones. Ever feel that? Feel cold in your bones? This is, the Proverbs writer is telling us that. What you are experiencing emotionally, spiritually, it, it just reveals itself physically. Why is it that? And I know some of you, have, uh, I've seen it happen to some of you where I, I see you one moment, black hair, brown hair, whatever, blonde hair, and suddenly it's all gray in like a month. I won't point out who, but there are some of you that I, I Okay, I'm turning my head really fast because I don't want to, like, really. But I've seen it happen. Why does that happen? Why do presidents, when they go into office, they have such dark hair, and then suddenly they leave, and they are white hair or no hair? Because there's a physiological impact to our worry, to our concerns. Why is it that we have a difficult time sleeping? Anyone have a difficult time sleeping? Especially as you get older. Because there are so many worries Concerns and you might say I don't have worries and concerns, but then we sleep so little Why does that happen? Because what we're experiencing emotionally works its way out Physically and we see that in every stage of life every stage you know a child that's throwing a tantrum will be pounding on the floor And I don't know if you've ever seen this, and they kick something and they hurt themselves in the process. A teenager who is, again, wanting to be on all sorts of social media and a parent is saying, no, you're not allowed to do that, and they get really upset, and they're just worked up, so worked up that they start literally hurting themselves. Why does that happen? That happens because Proverbs is saying that where you are with your walk with the Lord will literally reveal itself physically. And that happens. Now, the inverse is not the point of Proverbs. I wanted to lay that out for you because I think that's hopefully helps you to understand this verse. But the positive is that when you fear the Lord, when he is your utmost, that it is healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. And I don't think that is just some statement that the Proverbs writer is saying out of the blue. It's something that he means that there will be a day where there's not a single concern of our hearts. There will be a day where you will feel in your bones refreshment. I think sometimes we feel that now. There are times when you're walking with the Lord and there's just a unique work of the Spirit just to really remind you of his grace. And you just feel so refreshed but it's always temporary because we're still battling sin. But eternally speaking, there will be a day where we won't be battling sin anymore. And I have a feeling we just have no idea what that feels like. When we are seeing the Lord face to face, there is gonna be such a lightness to our soul. You know, all the wrinkles on your face, all gone. There's a reason why it's called a resurrected body. For those of you who maybe ha- have lost a lot of hair on your head, so you're going to have a full head of hair. <laughs> and it's going to be interesting. We're going to go, I don't even recognize you. <laughs> you know, no more glasses or contacts or LASIK. Um, it's, there is this lightness that we carry with us. I see it in every day I wake up, more spots, crow's feet, You know, my my back is hunched a little bit more. My hair is grayer. There's less hair, actually. And every little creak, every little pain, all of that gone forever. Just imagine that. It's unimaginable. But that's what God's word tells us here, is that when you know him, you will have this. This is not something that could happen, It is a promised blessing of the Lord. And that impacts us today and impacts us for the future. Second is that, the second blessing is bountiful prosperity in verses nine and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Verse nine is interesting because it literally says and you can read this in the NASB, honor the Lord, not with your wealth, but from your wealth. In the Hebrew, literally, it says from your wealth. It's almost as if your wealth is your enemy. It keeps you from honoring the Lord. Now, the point of Proverbs is not to say that money is bad. There's nothing in the Bible, and it's a misquote of the Bible when you say money is the root of all evil. It's not. It's Money is the root of all kinds of evil. A love of money, it's not money, it's a love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So money is not evil, wealth is not evil, but from the Proverbs writer's perspective, our wealth keeps us so often from actually knowing the Lord, honoring the Lord. And it's not the money itself, and it's not all that we have, it's our hearts that love money, that love wealth. God owns everything that we have. I don't know if you and I really think about our resources that way. If you're a Christian, that is how we need to think of our resources. It's not. When God calls us to tithe, and whether you think tithing is of the Old Testament, or New Testament, let's just take away that question and just think about the idea of giving anything to the Lord. I think oftentimes we think, well, here's what I have and I've worked for and I will give this part and that belongs to God. But the rest is mine. That's just not how the Bible sees it. The Bible says everything is his. And he allows you the opportunity to utilize, to steward this for his purposes. And the promise is that we're going to bless you if you understand this relationship. God is not doing this because he's trying to withhold joy and pleasure from you. He wants to increase it and look at the New Testament where Jesus says, I will give, you know, the Lord, the Lord our God is going to give, you know, tenfold, fiftyfold, a hundredfold. So God's whole purpose is to bring forth blessing. But he wants us to realize that we're actually stewards. This is his and if we get this wrong, it is so deadly for our souls. In Luke chapter 12 verses 20 through 21, Jesus tells a parable. And the parable is familiar to some of you. There's this man he he uh, accumulates over his life. He starts building barns. He's building barns because he, he has all these crops that are being planted. And then He stores them in these barns, but because the crops are so overflowing and he's saving it all up, he has to build bigger barns. And eventually he just builds bigger and bigger until we're told, according to verses 20 and 21, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. A few things to note about those verses is, This word fool is all throughout the Proverbs. And fool definitively refers to someone who lives their life as though there is no God. So the person who is laying up treasure for himself is doing so as though there is no such thing as God. So everything is about consumption. What's in it for me? What do I get out of this? Now, notice a few things. One is that this concept of wealth is not about riches. It's not, oh, a vat, like, you can't read uh, verse 9 and think, well, this doesn't apply to me because I'm not wealthy. No, it's not about a huge, enormous amount of money. It's whatever you have. So essentially, this is, this is referring to us, and it's saying, do you trust God with everything that you have? And the way you know it is, if you believe there is a God and you're not a fool, then you will know that everything is his. That means your retirement, everything you're saving, your 401k, your investments, your Bitcoin, you know, your, your real estate investments. Everything that you have, it's the Lord's. And if you don't see it that way, then you're no different than this person that Jesus was referring to. Because what is he doing? He is actually establishing, like, all he's working hard. This is all his labor, right? And what is he doing? He's saving up. Now, it's not to say that savings in and of itself is evil or bad or wrong or saving for retirement is wrong. It's not my point. But the point is so is the one who lays up treasure for himself. For himself, and I include family in that because oftentimes your family is sort of an extension of yourself. So if you're saving up for your family and it's all about you and it's, this is mine and, and you're saving for that retirement so I can, I can travel all around the world, golf, forget about the Lord, I'll do whatever I want, and um, that's all I want to do. I just want to have fun. You're saving up for yourself. You're not thinking about the Lord. You're not thinking about his kingdom. You're not thinking about anything but yourself and your family. The Lord says, you no, you're a fool. Your soul will be required of you. There is a lot at stake for you. Everything is at stake for you. And until we see that, we will absolutely be in danger. We are to honor the Lord from your wealth. And we have to keep that in mind. Now, look at what the Lord wants of you. He wants your first fruits. That's a really important word. It, it means this, is that for those of us who perhaps have gardened before or planted anything, you know, you take a seed, you plant it in, in topsoil and whatever, in planting soil, and you water it and you watch it. You do it in the springtime. And then by the time it hits summer, you're trying to grow a tomato. And you know when that first tomato opens and it's big and red? You just you just are so excited to eat it, aren't you? I am. I, I get that way because it's like I grew that, that's me. And what the Lord is saying is, I want you to take that and I want you to give it to me. Why does God say that? Why does God want that? Because, first of all, does God love tomatoes? Like, is he up there saying, I can't wait to eat that tomato? No, that's ridiculous, right? God doesn't care about the tomato. It's meaningless to him. But what God cares about is the heart that says, this is Lord, this is what I have grown, and it's yours. You rightfully, you gave this to me, and I want to give it back to you because that's my heart. And that's exactly what the Lord wants from us. He wants our hearts and our resources, our money, our tithe, all that. It's just a representation of our heart. That's what he cares about most. When does God care about your paycheck and say, I want 10% because I'm going to use that money to buy a big chariot in heaven for myself? I mean, that's not what the Lord cares about. Money to him is valueless. It's meaningless. It has no purpose at all. Just to give you another example. Uh, imagine a child and they, uh, a, a little girl. You have your dad, and you. um it's your birthday. And your little girl, you see her like a couple of weeks before. She is just coloring and drawing, drawing a, a little house with crayons and a stick figures of you and her going, playing, you know, riding a bike together and whatever it might be. And, she, you know, she's just coloring it and working hard. And, and it's on your birthday, and she comes and brings it to you and says, Dad. Daddy, you know, here, here, this is for you. I made it. And I say, oh, yeah. Oh, I shouldn't do that. (laughs) And then I chuck it and say, this is garbage. I don't want this. I want to watch. What would you think about that father? Don't you think that that father is an evil man? I would think so. I think that person. He, he deserves punishment. But a loving father would say, I love this. And Give that little girl a hug and say, this is so beautiful. I, I will cherish this. And we'll hug that child and bring her close and say, you know what? Let's go. I want to go to the store and buy you something. And um, on the way, let's, let's get some milkshakes together. And that's what a loving father would be like, Right? Now let me ask you something. Is this valuable at all? Does this does there is there any value to it? I was I shared this, but uh, when it walked into Pastor Fuji's room, who just his office he just moved in and you know he's sort of unsettling things settling some things and he uh, has this one picture in his office of all of his kids when they're really young and and it's a little crimp crumpled and we were talking about it, and he's saying, I don't really know what to do with it, because it's it's too nice that you don't want to throw it away, but you don't want to hang it anywhere, so you don't know what to do. I think most parents understand that, right? Don't you have a lot of things that you think, oh, I don't want to throw this away. I feel bad, but it's junk too. Right? It's taking up, too, cluttering too much space. And we have so much of that. Well, why do we feel that? Because the heart is there. My friends, if we as sinful husbands, wives, fathers, mothers feel this way, about a drawing that our kids give us? How much more our Heavenly Father? When we give him our tithe, and it's from our heart, he doesn't care about the tithe. He just looks at your heart and he says, you're my, I I love you. And if we, as a, a father, an earthly sinful father would say, Thank you so much. Let, I want to buy you something now. I want to I bless you. Let's, let's go get something because my heart is melted because of your... Don't you think our Heavenly Father would want to bless you all the more? Do you think that God is miserly, that he needs our tithes and then he's going to grab it and hoard it to himself and say, all right, I'm keeping it all to myself and you get out of here. That's just ridiculous. No, we... Have a loving father. He loves to bless us. He loves to care for us. You know how much he loves to bless us and give to us? Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Anyone want to give up their own child for another person? Anyone want to do that? If you were to do that, we would say you're a bad parent or you're, you're crazy. Our heavenly father gave his son, John 3.16. He was generous beyond compare with us. Do we actually think that God doesn't want to bless us in this life or the, especially the life to come? It will be infinite, the blessing. So, when we honor the Lord with all that we have, it's not just about tithing, it's our time, it's our giving of our hearts. When we come and trust, God will bless beyond compare. Now, one last thing is just something that just struck me so much. Look at the result of this blessing. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. So a couple of things. When we give wine at our church for um, communion. And some of you might have been shocked, maybe for the first time you come and you think it's grape juice and you go, oh, that's wine. Or some of you might go, oh, that's wine. <laughs> you know? There's a reason why we decided to give wine. Because wine in scripture often means blessing. There's, it's just abundance. The overflow of happiness and joy. You know, it's the idea of wine itself. But the, second, the first part of this verse is so interesting in light of what I mentioned in Luke chapter 12, because your barns will be filled with plenty. Doesn't that sound familiar? Look at Luke 12 again, the barns. The barns that Jesus referred to, what was the problem with the barns? It wasn't that the barns were being filled. it was it was for himself. It was his heart that was selfish, right? And what, Jesus, and what the Lord is saying is, I want to bless you with overflowing barns. So the problem was, the more he kept it to himself, the more he was going to be judged by it. But when you trust the Lord, he's going to multiply everything beyond you could ever ask or imagine in so many unique and different ways, both in this life and the life to come. It doesn't always mean wealth, per se, money. But in terms of blessing and the outpouring of his blessing, it is unimaginable. And one thing we know is eternally, it's unmatchable to anything we have in this world. So I just have to bring you to this place and to say, never, ever think that God is miserly with you or that he is unkind or lacks generosity. Oftentimes, I think the real problem is we don't trust him. I know I don't. I I struggle. I really do. When we're struggling financially in the Bay Area and earlier on, there are so many battles of my lack of trust. And the Lord brings me back to Romans 8.32 time and time again. Don't you think that if I care for the sparrows and the grass of the field, don't you think I'm going to care for you? Oh, you of little faith. That's me. I don't know if anyone else here is like that, but God is a gracious God. He's bountiful in his blessings. Lastly, he gives us a delighting love, verses 11 through 12. This delighting love, what's interesting about this is it's in the context of discipline. Now, that just doesn't seem to go together too often, right? Discipline and delighting love. But listen to what Proverbs says. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. You might think that doesn't sound much of a, dis- a blessing because discipline doesn't sound like a blessing. But I think you're going to see throughout Proverbs, discipline is, a, when it's from the Lord, it's always a blessing. Always is. We need discipline. And the reason is because discipline is not punishment. Discipline always has the end goal of it: restoration, grace, love. It's meant to restore relationship, to reconcile, not to cut off, but to bring together. And really, without discipline, there is no love. We Hebrews chapter 12 quotes this verse in Proverbs 3:11 through 12. And we see this: an example of this is the life of David. King David. Man after God's own heart, because he had an intimacy with the Lord. But boy, when it came to fathering, he was a real failure in so many ways. David had a son. His name was Amnon. Amnon was a despicable man. He had this infatuation with his sister, Tamar, his half-sister. Eventually, he would rape his sister. And you know what was the consequence of him doing that? So... The, the father was David. And what did David do? We don't hear a single thing about what David did to Amnon. Nothing. He didn't do anything. It, it's just... And the, res, the result of what Amnon did is, according to 2 Samuel 13, 20, it says that she was a desolate woman. She was destroyed by what Amnon did. And then verse 21, when King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. He was very angry, but he didn't do a thing about it. Why didn't he do anything? How could a father not intervene in that situation? It's maybe because he thought, I love this person. I love Amnon, so I can't discipline him. I'm angry, but I'm not going to do anything. And then look at the result. But Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good nor bad. So Absalom is Tamar's brother. So the half-brother of Amnon. For Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. And what's the result of all this happening? Absalom would kill Amnon. Absalom would rebel against David. David would flee. And then Absalom would be killed. Another son of David. And so... What is love in that circumstance? Is it, oh, I love David so much, I'm not going to discipline him. I love him too much to discipline him. No, that's called hatred. And again, we're going to see this throughout when we talk about parenting, but discipline in a restorative, gracious, merciful, loving way always has the purpose of bringing a child, a person to God and to realize that they need him. That's the whole purpose of discipline. It's not punitive. It's to show a child or any one of us that we cannot simply go down this path on our own. We cannot be Absalom and Amnon. To be Amnon is a dangerous path. And someone, David, needed to stand in the gap and say, This will not happen, and there's going to be this consequence to you, Amnon. It could have saved Amnon, Absalom, Tamar. It could have saved the whole kingdom. I don't know. Within God's sovereign plan, he knows best, and he uses even sin for his good purposes. But in terms of what David did, it did nothing to show love. It was not loving at all, and it certainly was not a delightful situation. Theologian J.R. Packer comments, this is the ultimate reason from our standpoint why God fills our lives with troubles and perplexities of one sort or another. It is to ensure that we shall learn to hold him fast. God wants us to feel that our way through life is rough and perplexing so that we may learn thankfully to lean on him. Therefore, he takes steps to drive us out of self-confidence to trust in himself. When you're going through times of trial, sorrow, and grieving, and you're asking the question, God, why? Why is this happening to me? You know, if you listen to saints of old, whether it's John Erickson Tata or um, just all the different people throughout church history who have gone through real trial and suffering, they will share with you that without that trial, they would have always been self-reliant, self-worshiping, they would have deemed themselves. They would have been that man in the barn who's building things for himself. And sometimes the Lord, because he is gracious, will come into your life and will make it so that you can't build anymore. And you think that that's painful and God doesn't love you, but no, it is because God loves you. Because God wants you to lean on him. Because God wants you to trust him, to hold him fast that sometimes he brings those sorrows. And for anyone who has ever turned to the Lord and you've experienced sorrows in your life and grievous sorrows, and then you go through that and then you look at it beyond the clouds and you can look back, you always can see that person saying, I understand why this happened. I it makes sense to me. As C.S. Lewis writes, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to arouse a deaf world. I've been there, deaf, not able to hear the Lord's cries to me. And sometimes the only way that I was able to hear is trial. And that, though painful, but it, it truly, as Paul writes in Romans 5, builds character and character, endurance, endurance, hope. My friends, knowing God always leads to our ultimate joy and delight. That's God's goal. He wants us to know him. Always brings blessings. Always. And 10,000 years from today, those blessings will be known to its fullest. 1,000 years. 100 years from today, it will be known to you in every way. But you know, in order for that to happen, this is only made possible by Jesus experiencing the most grievous pain and suffering so that you could receive ultimate healing. Jesus had to be in pain so that you could be healed, ultimately. He who was God, who emptied himself, made himself nothing, took on the very form of a slave, he had to have nothing for you to have bountiful prosperity. And he had to bear the full discipline of our sins so that we would receive God's delightful love. This is the gospel. To me, he's worthy of knowing. I mean, I want to know him more than anything else. I hope you do too. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for the cross. Thank you, O Lord Jesus, that you made yourself nothing so that we might have everything. The blessings that are poured out upon us are made possible because, Jesus, you suffered so much. And I do think that there are some in this room who do not know these blessings. Lord, I pray that you would help us to seek after you and to know that fully. We thank you in Jesus' name.